welcome to Access to Justice. I'm your host, Evan Clark of Gahane Law. My co-host is Heather Malarick of Merrick Law. And we're joined today by a very special guest, Kim McDonald of McDonald Advisory. Kim is a financial advisor and insurance advisor with Raymond James Limited. We're a Canadian podcast with a mission to educate Canadians about the law. We interview experts in law, mental health, and finance, focusing on the topics that create the greatest barriers of entry into the justice system. You can find us on YouTube, on our A2J podcast channel, and on a2jpodcast.com. That's a the number two jpodcast.com. Um, Heather, Kim, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you for asking, Evan. Uh, this is, I think for, for me, this is a particularly fun uh, episode to be on because I have a peer with me uh, on, on the program today. And uh, I did reference Holly when I was in the hot seat and now she's on the program and uh, is, is kind of the guru, the, the best we have on the financial planning side. So uh, today is going to be, I think, a really fun episode. <laughs> yes, uh, and there you go. So our guest today is Holly Brady. Holly, welcome. Thank you. Happy so, to be here. For those who don't know, Holly has, and, and I'm sure there's many that already do know, but for those that don't, Holly has worked in the financial industry for the last 25 years. As a certified financial planner, she loves every facet of financial planning from the challenges of finding tax solutions to helping couples save for their dream vacation to placing the umbrella of insurance over families' heads, uncovering their life stories and working closely with clients are the joy of her career. Um, she's also a certified divorce financial analyst or CDFA, right? Is that, we use that acronym? I know when we first interviewed Kim, when she talked to us, uh, there were a few of those acronyms flying around about different kind of <laughs> divorce people you could be, right, Kim? Yeah, I, I get I get the wording screwed up all the time. So, so yeah, I'm glad Holly spelled that out properly because I I don't know what I called it on my episode. Yeah, we might have made a mistake, but anyways, it's supposed to be CDFA or Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, and she's a registered collaborative professional helping divorcing couples and their lawyers find ways to split marital property fair and equitably and addressing financial issues. And uh, Holly, you were saying just before we hit record here that you um, joined the registered collaborative uh, group mm -hmm. of professionals when uh, in 2013. Yes, that's right. Um, that was back in uh, 2013 and I was just starting out and um, building my own practice and I knew that this was a business model that I wanted to include in helping people going through a divorce and uh, so the collaborative process was definitely something that interested me um, just making sure that it kept the process more holistic rather than contentious. Uh, that was something that I wanted to make sure happen for all these families that are going through a divorce or separation. Mm. So you wanted to help, you got into it because you wanted to, you were interested in helping people avoid the more contentious parts of divorce. Cause I think we always hear, whenever you're hearing about a divorce, it's always a contentious one, right? Nobody talks about, Oh yeah. So-and-so got divorced and it was <laughs> in the park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You don't hear those good good side of the stories where, yeah, we were amicable, we're still friends, and we see each other for Saturday night dinners with our new spouses. You don't hear that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's, you don't hear so much about the nice divorces. You always hear about, you know, uh, when some something sensational happens, some bad acting, like somebody breaks property over somebody else's head or throws things out windows or throws everything onto the street. Yeah. Um, and so you're, you joined the collaborative uh, professionals to help people avoid that, those scenarios. Yeah, definitely. Because there's, in some cases, there's financial infidelity, right? Um, there's hidden assets that certain spouse doesn't want the other spouse to know about or spending habits, uh, credit that's been taken out that the other spouse doesn't know about. So I feel that I can try and uncover those and create some transparency for the process and you know, definitely help the lawyers along as well, help them understand the financial logistics. But um, if we can cooperate and communicate together and keep that transparency open, transparency open, then uh, then I think that'll be more cost effective for the client too. 
Yeah, so let's kind of get right into what do you do for people? Like, what does your involvement with their divorce look like? So it starts off usually with the, the gathering of the financial disclosure. So I can do that um, instead of having the lawyer um, take responsibility for that. I can give them all the, the clients the, the checklist that I need, the, the income tax returns the statements, all that kind of stuff. And then I can provide that to the lawyer um, at a much lower cost than what the lawyer might possibly charge the client. Um, then going through all of those financial documents, then it allows me to really understand the money, where it's gone, what the cash flow issues might be. From there, um, I can do a draft matrimonial property statement, figuring out who wants to keep what, what assets and liabilities each party is going to take on. And then I interview the clients to find out what is their financial interest in the property. Do they want to keep the house or is it more about them keeping their pension intact? And what kind of future do they see themselves living post-divorce? Um, a really big focus uh, on my guidance is um, planning a budget for their new lifestyle and what they envision for their lifestyle for them and their children, if there are children um, involved. And uh, then following that, then I'm able to provide them with some financial projections. So they can see exactly what their cash flow is in the near future, in the short term, and then in the long term, see what their financial cash flow is going to be when they're in retirement mode. So it really gives them, you know, a good visual to, to go by in order to make these important financial decisions when they're looking at different settlement proposals, um, you know, that's going back and forth. And what do you want? What do you want? I don't know. Then I can come in and say, this is, you know, based on your needs and your goals and objectives, this is probably going to be the best fit. Yeah, I want to, I've got a follow-on question about that. So... Um, because the lawyers, what we generally are helping people, we just do not get into or care really about the long-term ramifications of the property division so much as we worry about what does the law say, what's supported by the law, what's fair according to the rules that we have. Um, how does your analysis, in your experience, how does that long-term, long-viewed analysis help people make decisions or, or what effect does it have on that process? Well, it allows them to see, okay, if they're edging in towards retirement and they're going through this divorce, then they can see, do they need to work for another 10 years or are they able to retire at that goal age when they wanted to initially? Or, um, you know, the, the um, proposed spousal support that they're negotiating back and forth with, what does that impact have on the cash flow on the recipient and of the payer. So sometimes we can just massage those numbers and make sure that it's fair for both parties and that they can still live the lifestyle that they want going forward. Hmm. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask about, you were talking about uh, the financial disclosure and mentioned something in passing and that's tax consequences. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is something that, uh, you know, if people are looking at their property division in kind of a cursory way, sometimes they might miss that there's some tax consequences to think about. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the residential property is exempt property from any ta taxable capital gains. So we don't need to worry about that. But the, the products that we're looking at are RSPs, pensions, RIFs, LIRAs. Those are taxed in the hands of the when they start drawing income from it. So, or if they do a redemption of any sort. So we wanna make sure that the proper income tax rate is taken into consideration. So if a large portion, if they're keeping a large portion of the assets that are in registered products, like an RSP, a Lira, or a pension plan, we wanna make sure that their tax rate at retirement is appropriate for the amount of income that they're drawing from those taxable sources. Because even CPP and old age security is taxable. So. Some cases when clients have a large portion of their retirement assets in registered products, you need to bump up their taxable, um, their marginal tax rate, just to make sure that it's appropriate for the level of income that they're drawing in. Does that make sense? Yeah, let me try to unpack that a little. So 
it might be tempting to look at, okay, I'm going to take the proceeds of sale from the house and that's $200,000. The other person is going to take their RSP and keep that. That's $200,000. And there you go. Yeah, no, we need to make sure that the, the RSP is adjusted for tax. And usually when I'm working with lawyers, their rule of thumb is about 20%, sometimes 25%. But as I mentioned, if there's other sources of um, taxable income at retirement, we may need to bump that up to maybe 25, 32%, depending on what the, the income tax rates are at the time or currently. And, um, but if they're, you know, if their registered holdings are in not huge, then we can still probably leave it at the 20% tax rate or maybe even lower it. What do you, you use normally, Heather, 20 or 25? Um, it kind of depends. I think we, I would usually start it with 20. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just pulling up my precedent to see what I normally use. Yeah, I, know I, I think that's what's plugged into my spreadsheet. <laughs> I can, I can say from my side, I've seen 20%, uh, pretty much across the board from lawyers. And I, I really appreciate what Holly brought up because if you, if you have a financial planner, they're going to, put all these numbers together and come up with a more accurate uh, display of what, what the tax tax should be on, on the, that line item. So um, it, it could mean quite a bit of money if you don't, if you don't get that right. I think I used to use 20, but I switched to 25 because um, I was in negotiations once and the other lawyer came back with 25 and I was like, yeah, why don't we use 25? And this is one of the reasons that I think 25 is probably more appropriate. Have you ever witnessed in your lifetime income taxes going down. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, when, <laughs> well, when during retirement. <laughs> when, when and how much? Well, it, it'll go down, you know, because the source... No, 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 no. Sorry. Let me, let me clarify. The income tax rates, like as in, oh, now this bracket will pay less income tax than they were paying before. No. I the government set rates. Um, no, sorry. Never. Have yeah, you, yeah. Kim? No, but that, I mean, that's kind of a tertiary scenario like what holly is describing is um it's a really actually quite important to hire a financial planner because they'll give you the right number well the right number today kim yeah, the right exactly. number today the most accurate number versus kind of just tossing in you know a number out of out of the sky and i i Yes, of course, tax brackets have been rising over time. But to Holly's point, when you retire, I mean, typically your income does drop, which means your tax rate is is going to follow suit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about 25 versus 20%, not, you know, applying the tax rate that you're paying right now and you're earning, you know, $150,000 a year. I'm talking about just going with 25. And it coincides with... The tax law professor that I had at the University of Alberta would always cite this friend of his who thinks that the he he hates tax or doesn't hate, but he he refuses to use tax deferred vehicles like RSPs and those types of things because of that reason. He's like taxes are not they're not going down in the future. I'm not saving any money, so I just pay the taxes now, and then uh, you know I'll be better off because taxes are always going up. Now, that's not meant as like a general financial advice here, but uh, no. uh, <laughs> some of our financial people are shaking our heads for the <laughs> listeners who are not enjoying this episode by video, <laughs> They're shaking their heads. No, just for, just for uh, the listeners information. Yeah. Maybe for this particular person that made sense. I don't know anything about their financial situation, but yeah. I think most of the time we face a dramatic uh, income decrease when we start drawing from our retirement savings. Anyways, I just wanted to talk, flag that as some people may not really, RSPs tend to be a, a, a area that people are not totally crystal clear about. Have you found that in your experience, Holly? Um, RSPs, for the most part, people do understand, you know, how they get that tax 
um, relief when they do make those contributions uh, and then how they're taxed on it at, at a, you know, when they're starting to retire or when they retire, I should say. Um, the one thing that is still unclear is tax-free savings accounts and how they work and LIRAs. What is a LIRA, a locked-in retirement account? Um, how pension transfers work? That's usually where people kind of get the day's look in their eyes and need, need more help. Okay. And that's where I come in. I like to educate clients so they understand the different products that are out there so they can, uh, you know, make decisions for their future on what amounts they have to withdraw, like in, in the instances with, with Liras that are converted to lifts when they retire, there's minimums and maximums that they have to take out. And same thing with RIFs. So what's a lift and what's a RIF? A, a RIF is when an RSP is converted to a registered retirement income fund. At, you have to convert it by December 31st, the age of 71, so that you can start drawing at age 72. And then a LIF is very similar. It, it's converted from a LIRA, a lifetime, in, um, a locked-in retirement account, <laughs> to a lifetime income fund. Very similar. But the LIF is a little bit different because it has to follow pension legislation because it is pension proceeds that were transferred into that account. So it has a little bit different uh, formula in calculating the minimum and maximum amounts that you can take out every year. Okay. How do folks end up with a lira, typically speaking? You said that it's funds transferred from a pension account. Does that happen in divorce? Yeah, it does. So um, if for any reason they had a defined benefit pension plan, um, during their lifetime, during their employment years, then if they leave that employer, they're often given um, an option to take that money out of the pension plan and put it into a locked-in retirement account. So that's where the pension money follows into the, into the lira and has to follow the pension legislation. And if they're going through a divorce and they decide that they want to split the pension of one of the spouses, make, they have these, this large career asset and they want to split it uh, and share it with their, other, with their spouse, then that's when a lira has to be um, opened up for the, the spouse that's receiving part of that transfer, that lira or that pension transfer. Right. Okay. Thanks. Now, you said defined benefit. What's that about? Well, defined benefit is, it's a, uh, <laughs> a specific amount at retirement that you're going to receive from the pension plan. And whereas a defined contribution plan is you're putting in a certain amount every year um, where the employer will be matching, just like your defined benefit pension plan. But with the defined contribution, you have a say of basically where the money is going, how it's going to be invested based on your own risk tolerance and time horizon. Whereas a defined benefit plan, um, it's invested by the, the board of directors of, well, Kim, you can probably explain that better than I can. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I don't didn't mean to put you on the hot seat. <laughs> it's it's been a while, but it's uh, I know you're that <laughs> I mean, people. We have a lot of government workers in Edmonton, so mm -hmm. a lot of people are very familiar with those uh, golden egg pension plans where money's taken from your paycheck and magically you have a paycheck coming in for the rest of your life when you retire. So, what I understood the difference between defined benefit pension and defined contribution pension is the defined benefit pension, the, the benefit that you get depends on whatever the plan has defined as like, uh, they have different targets, like years in, years of service. That's right. Whatever, and that determines, and perhaps your salary at the time of retirement, a combination of those things determines the amount that you receive when you right. retire. Okay. Whereas defined contribution I understood is, um, you just, whatever you contributed, that's what you get and divided up however many payments, but that's what you get. It's not depend. doesn't matter how long you work there or, or what you made when you retired. It matters what you contributed and how it performed. Correct. How it performed. Yeah. That's, that's really important to, to note because there's, you know, obviously a defined benefit 
plan is it can be based on your the average of your last five years of income while you were working up to certain yearly maximum pensionable earnings and, and all of these these formulas going into play. Um, but that's basically it. It's based on your last five years of income and the number of service years that you put into that company. And, right. the, and there's a, a pension group that manages that money. Yes. Right. Like people, I think, I think people have probably heard of various times, like the Ontario teachers pension fund, for example, I think yeah. they always tend to be in the news for some reason. I think they were at one point owned part of the Maple Leafs or something. <laughs> yeah, they can get themselves in a pickle if they, you know, own something that's highly speculative. But mm -hmm. it's not very often that you'll see a pension um, administrator or uh, the, the pension company as that's managing the investment take on a lot of risk. Right. They are pretty much very conservative to make sure that they can fund those pensioners when they retire and the existing pensioners that are on the books. Which the Maple Leafs, owning a piece of the Maple Leafs is not risky. Betting on them that they will win anything, that's risky. <laughs> well, it is risky in a sense. I mean, they could fold just like we saw the Winnipeg jet, Jets do, and then all of a sudden they come back again. So you just never know with a with a corporation like that. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting because we've just talked about just pensions and sort of like glanced at a glancing blow on them, but there's so many factors right there that um, people could really benefit from having someone like you, Holly, on board then to explain what those different types of pensions are, what the options are, what the consequences might be for um either splitting it now or keeping the pension intact, but giving some other asset down the road and, and what those payoffs might be. So that's a huge value add right there. Um, yeah. That, and which like, how do you decide how to divide a defined benefit pension when you don't even know what the benefit will be for sure at the time of retirement? And that's when you get a pension actuary involved um, because that's important. You shouldn't just take the commuted value or the pension, the, the current value or whatever the, the pension administrator provides you for um, the value of the pension. That's when, you know, especially if it's, if it's um, a federal, well, we've got basically four different pension um, uh, legislations in Alberta. And we have the federal pension legislations for all these pensions federal pensions. So we want to make sure that we understand the nuances of each individual pension. And that's where a pension actuary actually is worth their weight in gold because they can tell you, you know, what the value is, you know, okay, you're 35 years old, you only have eight years of service versus somebody who's 55 years old and have had 30 years of service. So you want to make sure that this golden egg, nest egg, like you guys talked about, is valued properly. And then what is the entitlement of the, the partner, the like the pension partner, which is the spouse that, that they, you know, were married during the duration of building this pension and what their, um, their joint accrual years were. So all of this information is very important for the actuary to provide accurate numbers. And that's something that's beyond my skill level, I will say that. Yeah, but that's that's uh, very helpful because I think I, I'm pretty sure not all family law lawyers uh, are necessarily alive to that issue of, oh, this is a defined benefit pension. Um, really, in order to figure out how to split it fairly, we need an actuary. Um, I, I know some lawyers are and everyone should be, but, you know, that, that's... That's not lawyer's area of expertise, but it is an area that you practice in. So that can be helpful to help flag those issues in case mm. somebody misses it. Because on the, like, just on the face of it, you're like, oh, it's a pension. Okay, well, year, years of joint accrual, value of pension, divide that in half. There you go. But no. you're saying it's not that simple. No. And you actually need the, the pension administrator to provide you what the member... Um, the the entitlement would be for the the spouse to receive those benefits um but at the same time that number can be um 
construed as well. And we need to make sure that that is accurate for the, the receiving spouse as well as the spouse that's the pensioner. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sometimes there's, uh, you've probably seen this before, Holly, where some pensions, you can stay as a participant in that pension plan, mm -hmm. and other times you're forced to take cash. Have you seen um, many recently where they allow you to stay participating in that pension? Um, a couple of client cases where they, where we, it's what we call a gray divorce. So it's um, clients that are edging towards retirement or in retirement. And then that's when we see that they might just stay with, with the pension plan itself and provide that, that benefit. But other than that, in most cases, I would say if they're less than 55 years old, a lot of times that um, pension partner is taking out their share of the pension and putting it into a lira. Yeah, a good reason. Another good reason to have a financial planner involved because maybe the best option is not division of that that money into cash. Maybe it is to keep that pension going if the opportunity's there. Right. And have that yeah. little bit of extra monthly income going forward as opposed to a chunk of cash. Yeah, definitely there's, you know, there's benefits, there's pros and cons to staying with the pension company and there's pros and cons with going it out on your own and, and creating that Lira account. Mm -hmm. um, if you're dealing with something like, you know, one and a half million dollars of this pension money that you're getting, you definitely professional advice on how to manage that properly. Right. Even $50,000 is a lot of money to a lot of people. And it's important that that um, retirement nest egg is managed properly. So that's where financial planners definitely bring value to um to people's lives when they're going through a, a really difficult decision like that. I don't know, Holly, you just put it all on gold, right? Gold just has intrinsic value. It never, it's very, right? No. Uh, well, you know, I saw, I remember when gold was 800, <laughs> $800. So <laughs> I've seen it go up and up and up and uh, yeah, like I've heard, everything from on the street, you know, right. Keep it. Don't, don't invest in anything else and yeah. keep gold. And I was like, how do you buy a bunch of gold bars gold? and put them under your mattress? So then what do you do when you want to buy groceries? <laughs> <laughs> melt, melt them down into doubloons and take them. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh. yeah, I, I'm joking people. No, not, we're not saying invest your nest egg in gold. <laughs> No, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, but it, it's such a good point, right? I, I mean, especially if um, if your nest egg is fifty thousand dollars, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not a lot of money to be living on when you retire. So you want to make sure, I think, that it, it's safe so that you at least have that, right? You make the most of it. Yeah, and I think like with any financial advisor, they're making sure that it's invested based on that client's risk tolerance, time horizon, the overall objective, if it's meant for retirement or, you know, if it's uh, an amount that's in a TFSA that's meant for purchasing a vehicle in two, three years. So, yeah, you have to invest it appropriately, whether, uh, whether they're retiring now or, or later. Yeah. Um, and to your point, Holly, of, you know, you mentioned the example of like, if someone's getting a big chunk of money from a big pension or something like that, if they haven't been the financial person in the relationship, you know, sometimes there is one person who's really knowledgeable and the other person that's not so much. Um, I think that could be especially overwhelming and like, you don't know what you don't know. So having someone like you involved, um, to give that advice and options, I think would be really, really important. Um, if you're sort of getting a, a, a big chunk of change and you're not used to managing um, money or investments or even have the vocabulary sort of, of RSPs and RIPs and interest rates and all those kinds of things. Yeah, the financial jargon is overwhelming for a lot of people and, and financial literacy is not something that we're taught in school. So yeah. it's, it takes a while for you to get yourself up to speed if you've never been the one that's been in control of the finances during the relationship. And I and that speaks to the reason why I, I 
wanted to focus my practice on helping people going through a divorce and separation and helping them understand their finances. I saw my aunt, you know, before I got my designation as a certified divorce financial analyst, I saw her go through a difficult divorce and she was never in control of the finances. And it was from that generation where, you know, it was the husband that made the financial decisions. She didn't even know how to write out a check. And so she felt hugely disadvantaged when it came time to make those decisions and, and for the settlement because she didn't know what she didn't know and she was scared. And I thought, I know that there's more women or men that are feeling disadvantaged like that. And I want to be able to educate them and guide them along the way and provide solid advice so that they can make those informed decisions during a really important life stage in their life. So, Holly, how do you do business? Like, what's um, like if somebody comes to you as they're going through a divorce? Like, let's not not talking about the collaborative context right now. Just somebody who's coming to you um, during a divorce or after divorce, whatever. How do you? What What's their experience going to be like? So when they come to me, a lot of people find me on the internet or through, you know, just Googling divorce financial help. They find my name and number and will contact me and uh, I'll talk to them about their situation, um, what they're, you know, are they just newly separated or they've been going through a divorce for a certain number of years? And then if they're just starting out, then I'll talk to them about the different processes they can use to obtain a divorce. So whether it's mediation, arbitration, collaborative or litigation, and, you know, just a, a very brief rundown of what they can expect from each pro process. Um, from there, I can I tell them exactly what I do for clients with regards to gathering the financial disclosure, helping them understand the finance that they currently have, whether it's an RSP or a vehicle loan with you know certain term, that kind of thing. Um, and then from there, I try to basically interview the client just to get a good understanding of what their interests are in the financial property. Do they want to keep the house? Do they do they feel comfortable taking on a mortgage on their own? And would they qualify? So um, that's basically what they would hear from me. And then we talk about my fee structure. Um, I charge an hourly rate. I do have a retainer that I ask for up front. And so then if they decide that they want to retain my services, they know up front what the costs are going to be. And so what are those costs? Like, how does, how does it work? So the, I, maybe that's too broad of a question, but can you just give us a, an idea of what, of what it looks like? Sure. Yeah, sure. No problem. I, I remember I used to have a hard time saying this number, but now I feel like I feel confident in knowing what I know and knowing how I can help clients and knowing how I have helped clients. And so my fee is $175 an hour and I charge $875 as a retainer or I ask for that. Um, and the retainer agreement is signed by the, the client. They understand that I don't give legal advice. This is only strictly divorce financial um, advising. And, um, and the, the retainer basically covers off the first five hours of work. And if I use up that retainer with work that I'm doing with them, then I will ask them to top it up. Or if we're close to the file closing or getting to a settlement, then I just invoice them at the end. Um, if there's a balance left on the retainer, then I do refund the remaining retainer amount. That answer your question? Yes. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you. I think I think that's very helpful for people to know. Like, okay, so they become convinced that they need someone like you. Then now at least they they, they know what to expect of. Okay, so Holly's going to want eight hundred something dollars, and let's get this done. Yeah. Well, and you know, a lot of times when I'm doing the, they they just want me to organize the financial disclosure that's fine. So if it takes me three hours or five hours, sometimes if it's, it's longer than three hours, I find if there's a lot of companies involved and I'm gathering all the financial statements and having to review all that. So I understand it fully. Um, but for me to do it, even if it's only five hours that I spend on it, $875 versus five hours of their lawyer doing the same thing, there is a, a cost savings for the client. Mm -hmm. 
significant cost savings. And I'm finding also recently more often than not that lawyers want the financial disclosure on a flash drive or saved in a cloud-based program. They don't want that physical file because they're finding it, <laughs> they just don't have the space for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to do their due diligence and go through that PDF file in, in, in detail to um, make sure they understand the finances as well. But um, it's just more convenient sometimes for them to have a flash drive or cloud-based program to access. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that makes sense, right? Because if somebody's got a complex financial situation, then, you know, it's going to take more time. And having one corporation complicates things. Having multiple corporations complicates things even more. So I think that's something that people need to be aware of. Um, corporations are a useful tool, but uh, they usually take more brain power to figure out exactly what's going on and how they affect the financial picture. Have you found that, Holly? Yeah, you have to understand the inflows and outflows from, you know, if it's a holding company, a professional corporation or uh, an an incorporated company or a partnership. You have to understand that because it also impacts the amount of income that we're reporting for spousal support and child support. Right. So if they're a partner and they, you know, they're they're getting a certain amount or they're required to um, pay into the the partnership a certain amount, then that affects their income level. So we want to make sure that that income is properly calculated for those important payments. Um, I, I think that there's probably like a stress savings as well, Holly, to have um, you assisting, um, especially if maybe you don't have that higher level, of, uh, if, if someone doesn't have that higher level of financial literacy, um, if you're already going through a separation, you might be worried about what's happening with the kids and, um, you know, you're trying to work and meet with lawyers and, and do all of those other things. And then this element is just one more piece that I, I know sometimes for my clients, it's like uh, things just don't move because they can't sort of get past this piece because it's just so sort of overwhelming in a, either emotionally or um, in um, it just causes them so much stress to think about having to gather all of this or to face it all in an informational way. So if they could have somebody like you gather it, condense it, make it make sense. Um, I think there's a big savings there in, in stress and worry and that kind of thing. Well, and the biggest thing is they need to understand where their money is going. So one of the tasks that lawyers will ask of their clients is to prepare a monthly budget. What is your household budget? And for some people, it's like budget. I've never, you know, even looked at the possibility of budgeting. That's not something that I've never done. Where do I start? So there's many different sources that you can use to, to create a budget, whether it's an Excel spreadsheet, a certain app from a bank, or just, you know, make up your own columns in a, in a textbook or in a notebook and go from there. But um, once they actually know the numbers, then they're able to say, okay, this is where my money is going. This is the fixed invest or fixed income, or sorry, fixed expenses, and then the variable expenses, right? That's the, the clothing and the groceries and the kids' activities and the entertainment and vacations and all of that stuff that you want to create that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of people don't know where their money is going. So I think the first rule of thumb is to make sure that you understand um, what you're, you know, what you're working towards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're a person that's sort of facing this process of separation or divorce, um, do you have any tips that you would give someone right off the bat that's sort of starting out in, in that process? Yeah, for sure. So I think, um, like I mentioned, being in the know of their finances okay. and knowing how to log on to those online platforms so they can get access to the statements. Yeah. If they don't already have a CRA log on or my account with CRA, make sure they get the credentials so that they can log on to see their tax returns, um, any benefits that they would qualify, like the, child, the Canadian child benefit. 
um, and if they're, you know, a disability tax credit, that kind of thing, if they qualify for that. And then, then that way they have those documents at their fingertips. And then on that note, make sure that they gather any documents relating to anything financial, um, like income tax returns, property and investment statements, bank account statements, just so nothing kind of goes missing erroneously because <laughs> uh -huh. things have a way of disappearing when you're going through a divorce uh -huh. um, and make copies. So if the, if, you know, the mortgage usually is joint, there's bank accounts that are joint investments that might be joint. So make copies so that your spouse can have that because it's all financial disclosure that your lawyer is going to need and his lawyer is going to need, or that person's lawyer is going to need. And you want to make sure that you have that at your fingertips. Because if you don't, if you try and hide it, it's just going to cost more money in the long run. It's going to be uncovered and we're just going to keep asking for it and asking for it. And that just delays the process. So, um, and then the, the next thing would be, don't afraid, be afraid to ask questions. We're all starting out, you know, our financial literacy at different levels, different points in, in our time, in our life. And we want to make sure that everybody fully understands what they're, what they need to know. And so just go ahead and ask questions. There's no stupid questions and I'm here to answer anything that, that people want to ask. Mm -hmm. I've got an important uh, item to bring up, which is not all financial advisors are financial planners. And uh, yeah. I think, you know, maybe a lot of people out there or lawyers too even think that just because somebody has a financial advisor, um, they, they think that it means that that person's going to do planning with them and 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 forecast the future and and help people have confidence in their their decisions about their money. But uh, that's that's completely and totally not true. I think a lot of financial advisors would be very intimidated by doing planning. They don't have the credentials to do it. So, um, Holly, I, I was curious because you've been doing the divorce work for a long time. I'm curious what you've seen with trends about people finding you and, and using you and realizing that not only is it a benefit for their divorce, but it's also a, a massive help for them uh, feeling confident about their future. Have, have you seen trends of, of people wanting to, to, to con consult you more? Um, just wanted to know your take on that. Yeah, for sure. Because um, I do come from the financial planning background. I have my certified financial planners designation. Um, it's it's important for people to say who say they're their financial advisor is not a financial planner. And there's some people that will say they're a financial planner and they don't have that designation. And the the um, the Canadian um, oh, financial institute <laughs> help me out here financial. Are you talking about FP Canada? Yes, that's it. <laughs> they, they've gone down the road to say that they're going to call in people who call themselves financial planners but don't have that designation because it's a very yeah. important um, designation where you've taken really in-depth um, education and training to take a, a look at all aspects of financial planning. So it's not just about retirement. It's not just about tax, but we're looking at, you know, financial management, the cash flow part of it, debt management, estate planning, uh, making sure that their um, insurance or risk management is taken into consideration. So there's, you know, there's six different disciplines when it comes to financial planning that I take into consideration when I'm working with a divorce client um, that someone who maybe doesn't have that designation wouldn't consider. So, you know, when they're getting the value of my experience and expertise and my, um, my accreditation um, when they hire someone like me. So lawyers, how come lawyers don't pitch Financial planners more, Heather and Evan. What, what's what's the holdout? You know, I do, and I encourage it because I don't have that financial planning background, right? Uh, like Evan said at the beginning of the episode, um, I know the law, and I'm sort of concerned about the legal outcome, but um, I don't have any of that training, and I encourage it. But I think that 
it's a stressful time. I think people are reluctant to have maybe more appointments, more bills, more. I, I, I think it's difficult sometimes to just see the value in it at the time. So, yeah, it's a pitch I make. But <laughs> um, the times that, that clients have used it, though, I've found it enormously helpful. I mean, to have the maybe the property spreadsheet handed to me or to have all of the financial disclosure given to me in a bundle that's organized and laid out. I mean, that's, it's amazing. And it, it's, it's something that I don't need to charge to do that and to do poorly or more poorly than you or, or Holly would do it, Kim. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't have an excuse, Kim. I should probably do it more than I do uh, because it, I usually charge somewhere around $600 to um, compile financial disclosure. Mm -hmm. And that's if there's, if it's relatively simple, like there's no corporation, there's a corporation or more than one corporation that I'm going to charge more than that. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I like the way that I do it. I think it, it suits my purposes perfectly. Um, but that's pretty expensive when you compare that to uh, you or Holly doing it, um, I think, because that, that represents an, an hour and a half of my time. If you're, I don't bill by the hour most of the time. And for that, I don't bill by the hour. But if you look at it, my hourly rate being $400 an hour, that's an hour and a half of my time. You can get a lot more value out of you or Holly um, for, for doing that. So I should, I should, Kim, I take oh. your, uh, I take your correction and uh, accept it. <laughs> well, I think how you can present us um, as part of your divorce team, and it's exactly that. You know, you can practice collaborative without it being, you know, the big C collaborative. You can do the small C where you're bringing in other professionals to help everybody. Um, and if it's just financials that are coming in to provide the professional advice and guidance, you could just say, you know, look, um, there's certain things that I don't know and don't understand, and that's not my skill set. Here's someone that can answer all of those questions and more. So that's, you know, it in a nutshell, just bring us into the conversation. Well, you know what, though? Like, what we could do as lawyers, really, as part of our fee structure, is bill you out as disbursements for the client's and so, and like, if I was really serious about it, I'd say, okay, and we're going to hire a financial planner, mm -hmm. a, sorry, I want to use the full acronym, the certified. Divorce uh, financial analyst. <laughs> yeah. Certified divorce financial analyst. Um, and so I'll take that money into trust and then you'll just get hired. That would be a good way to do it. And I have worked with lawyers that did that. So, and that was very effective mm. and efficient. Yeah. Yeah. And it, honestly, it wouldn't be a hard sell because I can tell them how much it'll cost for me to do an inferior job. And then they'll be like, oh, well, why would I do that? I'll use all your him. Well, I think the important thing is that Kim and I have software um, where it provides that most accurate data that reflects, okay, the, not just the, the short term, but really more importantly, the long-term um, projections or forecasts of what their financial picture is going to look like. Right. And, you know, there's different lists of, of assumptions that we use, different data points that we put into the software. And, um, you know, it's valuable information and it really gives clients that, that visual that they can connect with and say, okay, yeah, now I understand this. This is the way that I need to go. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas I don't think like, I don't hold, um, I don't have the proprietary software for, you know, child view or divorce me to do this, the spousal support calculations. I leave that up to the lawyers to have that discussion with their clients. Right. I'm, you know, if they need to find what is a more appropriate lump sum spousal support payout, I can do those calculations or the calculations for the income of what the income they should use. Um, but when it comes to the conversation, what do we use the low, mid or high range of the spousal support? Then that's when I can provide those, you know, those short term cash flow projections and, and show them 
will they still be able to live and, and save for their retirement? Or does this mean that they have to sell their car and, and buy a beater? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess the message is, I mean, Evan and I, or any other lawyer who's putting together that financial piece, we're, we're doing it, <laughs> uh, but we're not doing it necessarily, like you said, with that um, forecasting, that long range, that big picture look. We're looking through our lens, which is our legal lens, um, mm -hmm. but you're looking at it from that bigger, that bigger picture, which is really helpful, but can also assist us to look at the legal picture too, and to give us that that information back. So working as a team really makes um, really makes a lot of sense. Definitely. Like, like I said before, I don't provide any legal advice. That, that's not my skill set. And uh, that's not the reason why I'm in business. It's to help people understand their finances. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a good partnership to have when we can work together and help the client through a really difficult time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very scary, I think, for people to accept an agreement or accept uh, a certain outcome. And if they can see into the future, how that outcome is going to look, they're going to have a lot more confidence actually saying, yes, this, this works for me. Let's do it. Let's sign, sign off on this and close the file and, and move on. I think a lot of people just kind of sit there worrying about accepting something when they can't actually to Holly's point, see the visuals. Like they, they, a lot of people are visual learners and they need to see yeah. the numbers. Am I going to be okay? And if the answer is yes, then great. Move things forward. <laughs> Yeah. And I've had, a, you know, a few clients that are, are, you know, very highly educated, um, very analytical and have been in control of the finances, the whole relationship. And they'll still hire me because they want a professional opinion um, just to, you know, check in, make sure that get that second opinion that they're on the right track. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's important for everybody to, you know, no matter what their their financial knowledge is, is to make sure that they do make those informed decisions. And the the reason why I do what I do is because <laughs> it sounds weird, um, is because I see mostly women who are very emotionally scared. They're grieving for the loss of the relationship. They're they're scared for their financial futures. Um, and then when I work with them and I build up their their education their knowledge and that power to make those really really informed decisions and i see the weight lifted off their shoulders and at the end when we're done you know when we do an exit interview with with the case file once it's all settled i just see you know they see their future as being bright that they can move forward and they can rebuild their finances um based on the lifestyle they now envision mm -hmm. to a new normal because it is going to be a new normal Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes that can be a difficult pill to swallow for people. Lifestyle generally is just mathematically your lifestyle is probably going to have to take a hit when you were living off of combined assets, combined income, switching and dividing that into two and, and using that same income to, um, to have two separate households. Yeah, for sure. And I have been brought in on some case files just to, you know, have somebody come in or um, check in with them just to make sure that they're on the right track when it comes to budgeting. Because if they're budgeting for something that's unrealistic, like their budget, their monthly budget is tens of thousands of dollars a month, then we know there's, <laughs> we need to, uh, you know, bring them in line a little and, and change those expectations to, to what it could really be. Right. Well, I think that's, that should be hopeful news for anybody listening. That's kind of staring down the barrel of what they may perceive as financial ruin associated with their divorce is that, well, your clients always, uh, well, most of the time are reporting that they have hope they have a good plan, solid plan for the future so that they can, you know, move forward. Mm -hmm. And it's not yeah. just all doom and gloom. More of a speed bump than a ruin, maybe. Absolutely. And, you know, once the dust settles, once the divorce is settled, there is the ability that they can revamp their, their total retirement plan and, and they can 
still have the life that they envision, you know, albeit it'll maybe a little bit different, but that goes to say with any life stage, you know, if you, if you have a financial plan and you're set on that plan, but then all of a sudden, oops, you have a, not oops, but you have a baby <laughs> that you maybe didn't expect. And, Hooray. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, you started a new business or somebody got laid off or somebody's passed away. Those are all, you know, changes in your life that, that dramatically change your, your financial plan. So, you know, that's where as financial planners like Kim and I, we, we come in and say, let's, let's make sure that we visit it every year and tweak it if we need to, when life throws us wrenches. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of a big wrench would be a divorce. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 It's very complicated. I Holly can speak to this more because I've only been involved in the divorce uh, arena for, for a few years and Holly's been around a long time. And what I found in my travels and, and my education is that it is quite complicated for the typical financial planner. They're going to be intimidated with a divorce event. And I think um, like I, the more I learn and the more educated I get on this, the more important I really think it is to find somebody who has it works in divorce financial planning and also works in collaborative law because then they get that exposure to lawyers and what lawyers are, are doing and looking for. But that's mm -hmm. just what I've noticed, Holly. I don't know if you've noticed this same thing. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I wanted to mention is, you know, we're seeing on the rise a lot of gray divorces happen. So gray divorces, obviously, you guys know someone who's in retirement, close to retirement, and they're uh, they're now separating and, and getting a divorce. Yeah. And I find them to be some of the most amicable mm -hmm. <laughs> divorces that I've experienced where they actually are worried about each other's future, financial future. Um, I had one couple sit at the table with me and they said, you know, no, I think I need to give you more spousal support. And the other party said, no, I don't think you can afford it. That's not, you know, that's not going to work for you. <laughs> and I just looked at them like, what? <laughs> Why are you getting a divorce? <laughs> they were just so caring. And, you know, it's not to say that divorce is always contentious and always bitter and, and revengeful. And it's not it's not always like that. There, there can be some very familiar and, and respectful relationships that end and uh, just move on. Yeah. Well, most of the time it's pretty, uh, it's not that way. No, but no, I don't want to paint a rosy picture, but um, you know, I think it's more cost effective for clients if they don't get yeah. that revenge. Look, it's more cost effective yeah. if they don't get divorced at all. <laughs> down to it. Like, yeah. Um, That's true. What is it? Um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Is that, am I getting that right? Mm -hmm. yeah, so like, yeah you know, investing in whatever it is you need to do to uh, keep that relationship going is probably worth it. But uh, we're not here to talk about um, that advice so much. Uh, I don't think any of us are experts in uh, marriage counseling, but. You know, that does bring up a, a question I guess I have is um, Kim and Holly, would you, I mean, would it be, sound or, or prudent for someone who's contemplating divorce to come and chat with, with someone like you and say, this is the picture, but I'm really nervous about what it might look like if I, um, I was going to say, pull the trigger. I don't think that's the right analogy, but <laughs> decide to go ahead with separation, right? Um, is that a conversation you'd be willing to have with people as well who are worried before they've even made the decision for sure that they want to end a relationship? Yeah, for sure. I'd, I've had those conversations where somebody's contemplating um, separating from their spouse and they just want to know financially what, you know, kind of they're looking at for cost of, mm -hmm. you know, getting a divorce mm -hmm. and what they're looking at as far as what might be an exemption, what would be considered marital property. Um, a lot of that, you know, exempt property I rely on the lawyers to indicate that. Um, I can say this might be, but when it comes to um, actuality, it, I rely on the lawyers to provide that legal advice. But um, no, I think 
a lot of people who might be contemplating, I think it's prudent for them to get their ducks in a row and really source out some um, and have consultations with some professionals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Ducks in a row. I like that approach. I mean, of course, I just said, oh, it's the most cost effective not to get a divorce. And that's kind of, um, uh, that's probably really annoying to hear if you're like going through a divorce or relationship breakdown. You're like, what a dumb thing to say that is. Because obviously it's like that ship has sailed by that point in time. And and, uh, it may not have anything to do. Like that person may not be at fault at all. It may just be something, circumstances. But one thing that everybody can do is uh, that I think works in a preventative way, as well as works to keep things low stress when it comes time to split up is have some kind of a agreement beforehand agreement about what's going to happen if the relationship breaks down. Uh Like we call it a prenuptial agreement, or if you're already married, we call it a marriage contract. Uh or a cohabitation agreement. Um, And you think about Hollywood, you think about these big stars and like, you know, yeah, you don't want to just have someone, a gold digger marry you and take all your money. But that's not really like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that can provide a stable footing for the relationship. I think it can actually, if you sell it that way, it can be more effective and help build trust. I think, I don't know. Have you, have you worked with many clients that have that some agreement like that in place, Holly? I haven't, but I am a firm believer of starting as you plan to continue. Right. So, you know, you're not entering a relationship thinking that, Oh, it's going to end or, you know, possibly end where the statistics are out there. People know what it's like. And especially now with COVID divorce rates are up by half percent, but if you if you start on the right footing, it's just like building that foundation. You you know exactly what you're both bringing into the relationship money wise, and you both know and understand or are working together to try and um, compromise to make the best lifestyle that you guys can that they can um, put together. And because relationships are constantly compromising right? One party wants to do one thing, one party wants to do another thing. And one person is more conservative, one more person is higher risk and is okay with taking on a lot of debt. So it's constantly compromising and coming together and making informed decisions together. And then I think the financial strain of a relationship will not occur as easily if they have that foundation and know where they, where they started out and know where they're headed together. So, you know, it says a lot about marriage prep courses, um, the the prenuptial agreements, cohabitation agreements. It's not to say that we think that your relationship is going to end. It's just a very useful tool. You're starting a conversation that you may never have to have, but at least you've had that conversation and you know exactly where each other stands. Yeah. And it can change. It can change over time, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this type of uh, agreement makes a lot of sense where there's some inequality entering the relationship when you're talking about finances, Um, especially where the person that has more assets and income has children, Mm -hmm. another person doesn't, that there's concerns about state planning and things like this that that can make that person want to get an agreement like that. Mm -hmm. But if then you're together 25, 30 years, it may not make sense anymore because now you really have merged as an economic unit and Mm -hmm. those agreements can always be changed. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, but I think you you guys can speak to this on the the legal side of it. You know, how easy is it to undo those premarital agreements or those cohabitation agreements? I don't, I don't know, but, um, okay. (laughs) If, If there's agreement. Yeah, for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's, it would be the same thing as somebody, you know, contesting a will. Um, it can be done. Uh, you just have to provide that proof. And People try it all the time. Yeah. But um, so that's, those are life stages. Those are things that happen during your life. And again, working with a financial planner so that when these things happen, you can, you can arm yourself with, okay, let's be proactive rather than reactive and make sure that our wealth is working with us rather than against us. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, Kim, anything that you've been uh, dying to ask here before we wrap it up? No, I just think Holly's wonderful and people need to go and see her if they're getting a divorce. She is going to answer a lot of questions that people have. She's going to smooth out uh, some problems that maybe don't need to be there. And, uh, and it's, I mean, she's worth every penny. That's all I have to say on the topic. It's a glowing endorsement from the mad dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you right back, Kim, and I and I really respect what you do and that you're, you know, I can call you a colleague and a peer because there's few and far of us, uh, very few of us in the industry that um, have that trust and, and respect. So it's nice that, that we can boost each other up. <laughs> yeah, we think, we think Kim's pretty great too, so. Yeah. <laughs> Heather, how about you? Any uh, closing points? Well, I don't know how we managed to get the two best financial ladies in the divorce world in the same spot together, but I feel pretty, pretty honored that we, we spent the last hour with them here today. So thanks so much for coming on, Holly. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Because we're heavy hitters in the uh, legal podcast. Um, <laughs> here, Heather. Uh, that's how we managed. And actually, it was because you booked the appointments. And so, um, good job, Heather. Good job, Heather. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but but yeah, I I, I really feel uh, I feel lucky to have, to have been able to spend the last hour with with uh, the three of you actually. So, um, thanks a lot for coming on, Holly. I, I really appreciate it. Do you have any last points that you want to share with us, or anything that you wanted to get off your chest? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, don't, um, we don't replace a lawyer. Just don't be fearful of connecting with us and seeing if there's a way that we can help. It's not every situation that we're going to be able to help out, but, um, you know, I think let's just have that partnership and that, that conversation. Yeah. Great. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks again, Holly, for coming on. And uh, thank you, Heather and Kim, as well. This has been another episode of Access to Justice. Thanks for listening and or watching. If you have any questions you'd like us to address on the podcast in the future, send an email to accesstojusticepodcast at gmail.com. That's access, the number two, justicepodcast at gmail.com. And we will do our best to get an answer on an upcoming, uh, to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day. Any information in this video is general information only and is not, nor is it intended to be, legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up-to-date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Mallorick Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Mallorick, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or omissions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Mallorick, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, RJFE, a subsidiary of Raymond James Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. When providing life insurance products, financial advisors are acting as insurance representatives of RJFE. Darkness of the dales dissipates, declines because of he who turned water into wine.